Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey, good morning, Every Nation New Jersey. God bless you. PA here, Pastor Adam Bird, and I'm so excited that you would spend your Sunday morning here with us at Every Nation New Jersey. And uh, we're continuing our series we've called A Beautiful Mess. And, and so the title uh, of our, our talk today is this, uh, A Beautiful Mess with a Beautiful Message. A Beautiful Mess with a Beautiful Message. And, and I hope this, uh, that title will make sense by the end of our time here this morning. But uh, kind of to, to shape where we're headed today is I, I need to start with a story. And um, so, so the year was 1977. For the record, I was eight. And I had this life-altering uh, event happen in my young little life. My family and I went to the movie. We, we got into our Woody wagon, station wagon, and we went to the movies and we saw the movie Star Wars. I mean, as an eight-year-old boy, I mean, like, this thing was soul-stirring in my heart, like the coolest thing ever. So you can imagine my excitement and anticipation as I had to wait some three years uh, for the sequel to Star Wars, which, as you know, is, is The Empire Strikes Back. And so I can't even begin to tell you how unbelievably disappointed I was. Like, I waited three years to watch The Empire Strikes Back. And if, if you recall uh, in that movie, it was like, man, I, I became pro-Dark Side. <laughs> because in, in the movie, I mean, it's like like Han Solo, what, he gets like frozen and Chewbacca gets thrown into jail. It's like, like every time Vader gets into a fight, man, he's just winning left and right and center. Till you get to the end of the movie, Luke Skywalker, our hero, what happens? Like he gets his hand chopped off and he starts crying in the corner. I'm like, what in the world, man? And so that, that movie was basically two hours of the good guys getting the trash kicked out of them. And for the record, this sermon might feel a little bit like that, okay? <laughs> I'm just warning you ahead of time. But, but here's the promise. Then I knew after Empire Strikes Back, eventually we'd get to Return of the Jedi, right? And that was, that was a good one. Thumbs up on that one. And, uh, and, and if you stay with us, man, I promise you this beautiful mess will become a, a beautiful message because our gospel is the greatest message in the world and it is the best news possible. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And so I, I have to remind you that, remember that, that this book, it's written to a specific church at a specific time. It's addressing specific problems. However, uh, I think you'll be uh, amazed at how the, we struggle with many of these same problems that the church in Corinth did. And so I hope you uh, find it helpful. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verses 1 through 3, Paul says this. He says, uh, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to trial trivial cases? Do you not know that you are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? And so, um, so as you're reading this text, I'm not sure if you're like me, but Paul's like, hey man, don't you know you're going to judge angels? And I'm like, no, Paul, 
I didn't know that. I didn't know we were going to judge angels, okay? And, but, but the big idea here is, is Paul is he's shaming the church at Corinth because he's like, he's like, people, like God, we are going to be a part of this cosmic eternal judgment, judging of angels and, and, and the lost and the world, right? And, and yet you can't judge these trivial matters in your church, uh, and, and so, uh, so that, that's Paul's big idea. And he goes on in verses 4 through 8. He says, So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before the unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even uh, your brothers? And so I think it's important to, to mention that Paul's not saying, hey, you can never uh, go, go to, uh, uh, you know, uh, to court against somebody. And I think it's also important to distinguish um, something that's civil versus something that's criminal. Like um, if, if someone commits a crime, you're obligated uh, to go to law, and it would be it would be wrong and even sinful to not do so, okay? But Paul's uh, many theologians believe that that he's dealing with like civil cases uh, or or even matters of sin, and so uh, and here's what he's saying, like like can't you judge this stuff? But instead, you're shaming the name of Christ by by like suing one another and in, in fighting amongst yourself. And so uh, let me illustrate it this way. So one of the biggest thrills of my life was uh, probably about uh, eight or nine years ago, I had a chance to go to the Holy Land, go to Israel, and it was amazing. And by far, one of the highlights of the trip was, was going to this place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And it's, a, it's a fascinating that almost uh, like, like built in, you can see the, the silhouette of a skull into the side of this mountain. And, and that's where they believe that Jesus was crucified. And, and as we went there on this, this trip, uh, we, we actually partook uh, of communion uh, right uh, at the foot of Golgotha. And it was amazing as I was as administering uh, the communion elements, you know, I, I bowed my head to pray and I looked up and everyone was sobbing. Like the, the weight of this moment and this lo- location, it just became so real and it really sunk into our hearts, which, um, so, so get this, next to Golgotha uh, is, is a piece of, of holy land where there's a church built on it uh, called uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre sepulcher and uh, it's actually claimed by multiple uh, Christian sects and so uh, in 2008 uh, there are a group of uh, uh, Greek Orthodox monks uh, that actually got into a dispute with Armenian monks uh, over the the area this territory of the Holy Sepulcher uh, and uh, so uh, this argument and disagreement uh, led to a fist fights and eventually led out to an all-out brawl in a riot, okay? And so these Greek monks and Armenian monks are, are absolutely beating the trash uh, out of one another. They had to call the, the riot police in. I believe we have an image of it. And so, like, like, can you imagine the absurdity of this? Like, at the very location where Jesus suffered and died on a cross, why? So we could reconcile God and man and man to man. 
And what do we do? Christians are fighting, beating the snot out of one another for all the world to see. And and I just got to think that Jesus is sitting in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father, and he's going, seriously? I died on a cross so you could do this? And and listen, that that brought no glory uh, to God. And so um, um, I, I think every parent will feel me on this with, um, like we've all had those moments when our kids are bickering and fighting with one another. We're trying to drive the car. We're like, don't make me pull this car over, you know, and you, you do that. Just me. Okay. Never mind. All right. But, um, but listen, like we have this unique opportunity right now. Like the world is so divided. It, it, it's looking to divide and argue and dispute over every little thing. But the church, we have this opportunity uh, to be blindingly uh, different, to be the light of the world, to be something unique and otherworldly, that we can have like Democrat and Republican, uh, like doing life together, united together. We can have young and old, not complaining about one another, but actually completing one another that we can have the different ethnicities and races, not dividing over our differences, but rather celebrating them, right? And so we have this great opportunity for the church to be the church. And so uh, before we read the rest of our text this morning, uh, I want to give us kind of some lenses uh, whereby uh, to, to read this text. And so in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus tells this parable. It's the parable of the tax collector uh, and the Pharisee. And, and and Jesus tells it like this. He says that there was a Pharisee that, that entered into the synagogue and he began to pray, Father, he says, thank you that I'm not like this guy, like this guy, or like this guy, and especially not like that guy, right? And then he goes on in his prayer, and I also thank you, God, that I tithe, uh, that I keep the Sabbath, that I'm so awesome, right? God, thank you for me, right? Like, like he prays this prayer. And, and then juxtaposition to that is a tax collector, a wicked and sinful man. He won't even look to the heavens, but he just beats his chest and he cries out, God, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus says, you know what? There's, there's one person that left that synagogue forgiven and it wasn't the self-righteous Pharisee. Right, And so it's with that lens uh, the, of beating our breast and recognizing uh, the fact that we're sinners in need of a Savior that, that we need to have this, I, I'll just call it this uh, gospel posture. And so do you know that as, as followers of Jesus, that, that we don't lean against the cross of Christ and point out uh, other sinful people and say, hey, you need the cross, but rather uh, as Christians, we all kneel at the cross and we invite others to come alongside with us that there's still room uh, here at the foot of the cross. And so that's unbelievably important because uh, we're getting into a section of the scripture where Paul's going to start listing out uh, all these sins. And, and for the record, I can find myself on that list. Like there's been times in my life where I've been on this list. And so when you hear me read uh, these sins that Paul's going to list out, uh, please recognize the fact that I'm kneeling at the cross uh, alongside of you and we're inviting others uh, to come along and come on in. And so uh, with that as our lens, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. 
Paul says this. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit uh, of our God. And so um, I I need to go over uh, this list that Paul lists out. And he he begins uh, with this. He says, number one, the sexually immoral. Uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that word for the sexually immoral, in the Greek, it's the word uh, pornos or pornea. Uh, Can we hear a a word in that? It's like, uh, it it actually, the word is just kind of a drunk drawer word for any kind of sexual deviance outside God's biblical design uh, for sex between a man and a woman in the covenant uh, of marriage. And so Corinth was an oversexed, uh, culture and community. It's uh, it's like they had the the uh, the temple of Aphrodite, um, and there was a thousand temple prostitutes there. Uh, theologians estimate that it was one in every twenty people uh, in Corinth were actually temple prostitutes. Okay, and, and uh, in fact, to be sexually deviant, that that the world around them uh, they would just call you, oh, you're just so Corinthian. You're such a Corinthian if you were sexually deviant, right? And and so, but as 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 oversexed as the Corinthian uh, people may have been, I think it may be more difficult now. I really do, right? Because as a society, like like we use sex to sell everything, don't we? Things from man from toothpaste to shampoo. Um, there's these sexually provocative ads. I'm like, what in the world are we doing? We're talking about toothpaste here, that. That do you know that that porn, pornography, is so readily accessible now? Did you know? In, in fact, this I was l- looking at these stats that that porn traffic uh, on the web gets more traffic than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. Um, that that do you know that the porn industry makes more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. And so it, it, Paul says, man, the sexually immoral that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, here's another one, idolaters, idolaters. And, and, and you can read that and you go, well, th- those primitive people back in Corinth, they would worship dumb idols and do that. Oh, just wait for it because uh, we still worship dumb idols. Um, uh, you, you might just not be aware of it, all right? Because um, like, for example, in Corinth, uh, they worshipped at the temple of Aphrodite. Uh, she was the goddess of love and of beauty. And please make no mistake of it, we still worship the goddess of love and beauty. Like, like, like love? Are you, are you kidding me? Like, um, we, we have shows, right? Like uh, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And we kind of idolize these people and we think, man, there's going to be this certain relationship that's going to make everything right and good. And, and we have worship songs, don't we? Like, isn't it every song on the radio is about, man, a guy and a girl getting together. Uh, it's you complete me, Jerry Maguire, right? And so we very much still worship this, this idea uh, of love. Um, how about beauty? 
Like we still, uh, we worship beauty, man, as a culture. Are you kidding me? It's why we have, uh, we have filters and airbrushes for all our social media. Why? Because we worship beauty. That, um, do you know, uh, we, we tithe or we give our finances over to the goddess of beauty. You do. In fact, annually, uh, do you know that the United States, we spend $49.2 billion, with a B, dollars uh, on the beauty uh, industry. And so uh, I, I know uh, there, there are several. Now, ladies, I'm going to call you out. Don't worry. I'm, I'll be banging on the guys, too. But, but ladies, like I know, man, you'll, you'll drop 100 bucks on a mani-pedi. Man, drop 300 bucks on getting your hair done. Uh, but man, to, to, to drop $20 in an offering or something like that, it's like, oh, never, right? And so we still worship uh, the goddess of beauty. Um, the, the, the Greeks, you know what? They, they worshiped uh, the god Nike. Um, yes, just like the shoe, that it, it's the god of victory or success and power. And I know guy after guy that will sacrifice their family, their faith, their friendships, their health on the altar of success. It is worshiping the god Nike. Um, I'll just keep meddling even a little bit more. You know, the Greeks had the god Bacchus. It was the god uh, of the party, uh, party life, fun and games. And we very much still worship today. Like, like, listen, uh, we have uh, the, the uh, uh, heaven today is what? It's Snoop, Snoop Dogg walking on the beach uh, drinking uh, his Corona beer. It's the fine life, baby, right? It's, it's our, uh, the equivalent of heaven um, that, that we still worship. Uh, every country music possible, uh, every country music song possible is celebrating what? Uh, the God Bacchus, that it's Friday night, we're going to get a beer in our pickup truck and we're going to go out partying, right? Do that. That's pretty much every uh, country music song there is. And, and catch this, even as we talk about games and leisure, like, um, did you know this, that the, that the, um, the average 21-year-old male uh, will have spent 10,000 hours playing video games. Did you know that it takes half of that uh, to get a bachelor's degree uh, in college? And so uh, we still worship other gods. Uh, Paul goes on and he says, uh, nor adulterers. And we're like, oh, phew, good, I got away with that one, right? Didn't, didn't do that, but wait a minute, because Jesus in Matthew 5 is going to ratchet it up. Jesus says, if any man looks at a woman lustfully, it's as if he's committed adultery. Uh-oh, every dude on this has been busted. Uh, okay, uh, here's another one, and this will be a wildly popular one. Uh, Paul says, nor men who practice homosexuality. Like a wildly unpopular idea in our culture today. And, and um, like I remember the story of, uh, there, there was a, a young man, um, uh, I'll, just, I'll just call him Mike. Uh, right in, in my church in the city, and in in Mike, uh, he was I, I love this guy, man. He was uh, he was talented. He's an acting coach, good-looking dude, charming, funny. Like like I, I love this guy, and uh, but he was also uh, uh, married in a, in a homosexual relationship. But but he would always come uh, to my church in Manhattan, and and I love the fact that that he felt like he could come and and hear the gospel. Uh, and I was wondering, did did he did he not understand kind of our biblical view of sexuality, and it's not a cultural view? And so I invited him out to breakfast, and I just wanted to pick his brain, man, because I was so encouraged 
Um, and, and then um, as I was talking with Mike, he he was like, he was like, I was like, bro, you know our stance biblically, but yet I'm so like, I'm so glad you still come to you know our church and that that you can listen to the gospel. And and uh, he says this, yeah, I, I know that's your stance. He says, but you know, eventually you're gonna have to switch because the culture is switching. And I'm like, bro, it doesn't work that way. I don't get to make the rules. Like, like God has has set the standard, uh, the, the the standard of the Bible, a biblical view uh, of sexuality, and and so he, God gets to call the balls and the strikes. And so uh, uh, I, he's the designer, and so the designer gets to decide and define how it's used. And so God has said this, man, that sex has been designed to be between a man and a woman in a covenant uh, of marriage. That's how it's been designed to work and to bring human flourishing. And so for God to say, uh, man, that, that, that homosexuality is a sin, it's because it's outside of the design. And it's not God uh, saying, saying it to be cruel or to be mean, but rather he's saying it to be loving. And so I just, uh, man, the, these statistics broke my heart as I, uh, I read these uh, stats from the Family Research Institute. And do you know, it said this, that, that homosexual men, uh, their lifespan is 20 to 30 years less than heterosexual men. It says this, that less than 1% of homosexual males uh, will live or will die by, by a way of old age. And so, so my heart breaks. God's not saying it uh, to be some uh, prude or to be mean, but it's because of his design and his way. And so, um, listen, the, the idea of a, a same-sex attraction is, is not my struggle. But I've already told you that, that there's certain things on this list that are very much my struggle. All right? And so my encouragement to you is, is man, come to the foot of the cross with me. Let's kneel. Let's, let's struggle well together, brothers and sisters. And so Paul goes on and he says, neither the thief uh, nor the greedy. And so I just need to stop for a second and say, uh, you do know it's not just rich folk that are greedy, right? Like, like I've seen plenty uh, of poor folk that are unbelievably greedy. Like you just put out some free stuff or they just get a money. They become like Smeagol in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's, the, it's the precious, right? And so get away. And, uh, and so the thieves or the greedy, he goes on and he says, the drunkard. Now, many of you are like, oh, I, you know, I, I wasn't drunk. I was just buzzed, right? And it's like, but yet um, you, you said you, you, were, you were buzzed and not drunk, but you, you kind of wake up and you're like, hey, where did this tattoo come from? And, and surely I didn't text all these things, right? <laughs> and so, so neither the drunkards or get this, the revilers. The revilers. So to revile, it just means to slander, uh, to speak uh, wickedly and wrongly about other people. And, and isn't it amazing that, that we've created entire platforms where you can revile people and now it's no longer just in your little social circle, but now you can revile people to the world. And so we got, we got platforms like Twitter and Facebook where 24-7 you can just rail on and revile other people. That even our political system, like, like we're coming up on an election, and isn't it crazy that our entire uh, electoral system revolves around reviling other people? Like when's the last time you've seen a positive political campaign ad? You can't remember because there isn't any, 
okay? And it's all about tearing down and slandering uh, the other person. And then lastly, Paul says, nor the swindlers. And that just means the cheats and the thieves. And so if you're not thoroughly depressed, I warned you, it's going to feel like a beatdown for a little bit. But now we're getting to the good news, the good news of the gospel. And you know, uh, for news to be good, sometimes it has to invade bad spaces. And so now where you feel the weight of living in a Genesis 3 world, let's get to the good news. Verse 11, uh, Paul, he said this, and such were some of you, he says, but, but. I love, uh, um, there's a theologian by the name of John Stott, and he said this, that the word but is the greatest word in the Bible. And I know that sounds ridiculous to have but be the, the, uh, the, the greatest word of the Bible, but here's what you need to see. But it's this but that takes the brutal message of all this sin that you were, and it flips it, and it becomes a, a beautiful message. It absolutely flips it because of the but of the gospel. And Paul goes on and he says, but you were washed. And I love this because, um, uh, I, let me share this story of my man. My, my, my wife and I, we were driving with our, our infant daughter in the, in the back seat, in her car seat. And we were driving up into, into Canada. My wife, uh, she loves Tim Hortons and uh, it's a donut place and, and they have these maple donuts. And so we, we pulled over and got some and, and we, we put some back to our baby girl sitting in her car seat and, and she's eating the maple donut. And as we drive a, a little bit further, I noticed, man, it looks like a maple donut grenade went off. Like there's just maple donut all over my baby girl. And then she starts crying violently. So much so we're like, all right, we need to pull over, clean up our baby girl. And so I remember I get out and then I'm going to get my baby girl out of the car seat. And as I, I go to lift her out, I notice, man, I'm getting maple donut over me. And then I got a whiff of it. And that was not maple donut. It was something else. And I'm like, oh, man, this kid, right, is covered in poopy. And, and so I was just like, oh, so disgusted like this. And yet my wife took my sweet baby girl and held her to herself, took her into the washroom and laid her down. And as my daughter's crying and sobbing, my wife began to wash her little face, to clean her hair, began to change her messy clothes and pick her up. And then she snuggled with her. And do you know what? That's our picture. And you and I covered in sin. And see, God's not like me, aren't you glad? But God's much, much more like my wife. And that see, my daughter, she didn't like the fact that she was dirty, but she couldn't clean herself. She needed someone clean to make her clean. And that's our story. And it's the great news of the gospel. You were washed uh, at the cross, ultimately. And you and I, as we walk with Jesus daily, you were washed. He goes on and says, but you were sanctified. Sanctified, it's just a churchy word. It means it means to be set apart, to be holy, to be not common. And so uh, I'll illustrate this way. I, like um, I heard the story uh, by, by a pastor by the name of Matt Chandler, and he tells the story as, as he's a young, zealous college student, uh, loves the Lord, and, and he has a, a, a friend who's a single mom, and she's lived a very promiscuous life. 
but, but he wants to share Jesus with her. So he invites her to this Christian conference, and, and they drive to this conference, and as they sit in this conference, this, this preacher gets into the pulpit, and, and he does this illustration. So he's trying to scare young people uh, into purity and chastity. So he holds up this rose, and he gives it, and he says, you see this beautiful, pristine rose? And then he, he throws it out into the crowd. He says, now pass it around and smell it and sniff it and, and handle it and, and throw it all around. And then he starts talking about STDs and all these reasons why you shouldn't sleep uh, with other people, which, which whatever is, is fine. But then he calls back for the rose and he gets this one rose back. And after it has been handled and, and it's just all marred and busted over. And he says, uh, is this what you want to be? A dirty rose and then suddenly man Matt Chandler he says that that the promiscuous woman that that he had brought to this conference she just looks up at him and she says am I a dirty rose and then the preacher takes the rose and he says who would want this dirty rose and he throws it to the ground and Matt Matt says he just stood up and he screams Jesus wants the rose and that is the reality. Man, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, uh, you were sanctified. That, that Jesus picks up the rose. And now what? He sanctifies it. He sets it apart. He makes it his very own. It, it's the prodigal son in Luke 15. That the prodigal goes away and he, and he lives uh, with the riotous living with the prostitutes until eventually he winds up in a pigsty. And as he returns, all he wants to be is a slave or a servant in his father's house and his father's having nothing of it. His father runs to him, kisses his, his, his dirty face, and, and he doesn't let him settle uh, to be a servant or a slave. Why? Because he says, no, you're sanctified. You're set apart. You're my son. And he says, he puts a robe on him. He puts sandals on his feet and a ring on his hand. See, you were sanctified and set apart by Almighty God. And then, verse, and then he goes on and he says, but you were justified. That word justified, listen, I'm a simple guy. I need to keep it simple. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And so I, I love the story um, uh, of Old Ed. If you remember, there was a man by the name of Old Ed who would, uh, each and every day, he would buy a, a bucket of shrimp and then he would walk to the end of the pier and as he would, he would, he would toss uh, shrimp up into the air and the seagulls would gather and they would flock and they would eat these shrimp that are being thrown up and, and Old Ed could be heard saying this, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And, and here's the story. See, old Ed is actually Eddie Rickenbacker. Uh, I believe he was one of the most decorated World War II pilots uh, ever. And, 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 you know, Eddie Rickenbacker, at one point, as he was flying, one of his missions was shot down over the Pacific Ocean. He and seven of his crew members, uh, they survived the crash into the Pacific uh, as they were floating in their life raft, as they ran out of water and rations, they, they decided after quite some time, um, they had a, uh, a, a Bible study and a time of prayer because if a miracle didn't happen, they were going to die. And as they began to rest in the raft uh, to conserve energy, uh, as Eddie was sitting there, 
uh, a seagull landed on his head. And, and to everyone's shock, there's the seagull. And Eddie, lightning fast, he, he pauses and then grabs the seagull. He throws it into the life raft, and, and then the men begin to rip into it. Uh, they, they ate it, and, and it sustained them for a season. They used the entrails, and they fished with it for days and caught fish that kept them alive until they were rescued. And now, that, now does it make sense why each and every day, Eddie goes out to those seagulls, this one seagull that gave its life, that those men might live. And he says, thank you, thank you. You see, that's our story, that, that Jesus, um, on the cross, he pays the price for every one of our sins, past, present, and future, and we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his death, so that we all may live. And now we should live our life much like Eddie Rickenbacker, that, that we live our life each and every day saying, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Let's pray. Listen, I, I want to pray for you. Um, then if, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe I was rattling off all those sinful actions and you just feel dirty, I, I want to encourage you. Like Jesus, he's come to wash you, to sanctify you, to justify you. And all you need to do is to receive the gift of salvation purchased for you at the cross. And so if you would like to receive Jesus this morning, I would love to pray for you. And so I'm going to pray. You can repeat after me or maybe just say amen. Amen, it just means so be it. It's like, I agree with that, Lord. And so, Father, I'm praying for those that don't know you this morning or those that feel overwhelmed and overcome by their sin. Father, I pray, Lord, that, that you would enter in to their life. Um, if that's you this morning, just ask Jesus, come into my life. I receive all that you purchased for me at Calvary's cross. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. If, if you prayed that prayer, we would love to hear from you. Um, and, and listen, uh, for the record, too, before we sign off this morning, the, the sermon's uh, over, but we're not quite finished because I, I also want to remind you that, that if, if our ministry has blessed you in any way or Every Nation New Jersey is your church, that, I can, uh, that you can remain faithful in your tithing and your giving, uh, there's three ways that you can uh, give digitally. You can go to our website, encnj.org, and just hit the giving icon. Uh, or you can give via text. My, my, my wife and I, we give this way. Uh, if you text the letters ENCNJ to the number 77977, it's a very convenient way to give. Or um, you can mail in your check or money order uh, right here uh, to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive, right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And may God richly bless you as you're faithful uh, in the tithing and the offering. And, uh, and with that, gang, I want to say this. Jesus loves you, and I think you're amazing, too. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website, emcnj.org.